Well, hello to those I haven't met yet. Um, this all still feels very new, and it's very exciting, but it's also a little weird. And also, snow hit my windshield on the way here. Um, that's deeply uncomfortable to me, but um, especially coming from Southern California. But there we have it. Um, our text, gospel text for today, is Jesus going into the wilderness. And actually, in Greek, it's eremos, it's into the desert. Which, who goes to the desert? That's weird. Why would you do that? Um, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, the event that, that caused him to go, that caused the Spirit to uh, usher Jesus into the wilderness, was his baptism by John, the Baptist. Which leads us to uh, a, a question. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? He's Jesus. They called uh, John's baptism a baptism of repentance. And I'm fairly certain that Jesus had nothing to repent of. But there's, and this is always going to be the case for the scriptures, there's something kind of else going on underneath. The scriptures have many layers and many facets. And it has to do with actually the fact that John is baptizing in the Jordan River. That river is very important throughout the history of Israel or God's people. It goes well into their deep past. See, John uh, is a prophet. Actually, he's kind of like the last of the great prophets. Uh, and he draws imagery in terms of how he is speaking and how he presents himself from the ancient prophets of Israel. And if I could sum up his message, it would be this. You, not like you guys here, but you to the people of Israel, you are God's chosen people. You are the descendants of Abraham, the children of Israel. God made a covenant with you he gave you his teachings, we might call that the law, act like it, because I am preparing the way for the one that we have been waiting for. That's basically it. But then he couples that with this whole immersion in water. That's not a new thing, by the way. In Hebrew, it's a mikvah. And uh, mikvah or mikvot are practiced all throughout ancient Judaism as well as modern Judaism. Uh, throughout your life, you would go through multiple mikvot depending on what is going on. It actually also depends on your gender and certain other things. It's like a ritual washing. Um, We've got uh, actually archaeological excavations uh, that have taken place of first century, like synagogues that Jesus probably has been to. We see the evidence of these areas where people could wash. This is nothing new, except John is doing it in the Jordan River while pleading and announcing to God's people that it is time to remember that they are God's people and to act like it. So I've got a question for you. When, in, in Israel's deep past, did they have to pass through the waters of the Jordan River? It was after they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. John is recreating that moment. 
Because Israel passed through the Jordan River and into the land that God had promised them. And so John, in a sense, goes back to that moment. It's a recreation. Like when I lived in, in Pennsylvania for a couple of years, there were Civil War reenactments at the location where those things happened. It's a way of like taking on and being part of that history in that moment. John is like dunking, okay, now be Israel, be God's people as you reenact this moment. Now, the interesting thing about the wilderness and when God's people had to wander around is that is a place and a time in their history of just total failure. God rescues them from slavery in Egypt through the great prophet Moses. And not like 30 seconds later, the Israelites are looking and they see Pharaoh's army and they're like, we're going to die. We'd rather be slaves in Egypt. Moses, why did you do this to us? It's like, really, guys? Can you maybe just wait a minute to see how this plays out? They get to Mount Sinai and God's presence comes and dwells on the top of the mountain. And he gives Moses uh, his teaching, his Torah. Basically, he's making a covenant saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. And these are the stipulations. It actually, scholars would say it reads like a, like a ketubah, a, uh, a marriage contract, because it is. But the people get kind of antsy and worried. They think maybe Moses died or something like that. So they get Moses' brother and they say, hey, make us a god. And so Aaron says, okay, because I don't know, if you saw Ghostbusters, like somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Um, that's funny if you're a millennial, by the way. Um, Aaron uh, so he makes this golden calf and he says, here's your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. And as you can imagine, God is not thrilled with this moment. And then as they're going on, they're afraid they're going to starve and they're, afraid, they're, they're tired of bread so they want like, you know, birds off the ground so God does that. It, and, and really they have to wander through the wilderness because of so many different failures. The, the place of the wilderness for Israel is a place of total failure, constant failure, constantly testing God's patience. Uh, Moses has to like get between God and the people saying, hey, God, don't kill them. Please, just, just give them a minute. So Jesus by being baptized in the Jordan River, passing through the waters of Jordan by John, is in a very real way, and not just a symbolic way, taking on the identity of Israel. He's like Israel as they should have been. He's trying to recreate the stories of Israel, but without the failure. Israel reduced to one person. Kind of like Captain America is like the embodiment of America or something like that. And so then Jesus goes to the wilderness. And the temptations that he's experiencing by the devil are eerily similar to the kinds of temptations that were presented to Israel. Except Jesus succeeds. And I think what the gospel writers are trying to say here is that where Israel failed, 
Jesus as this new Israel succeeds. Or to put it another way, Jesus is where Israel's failures go to die. Now, that might be like interesting history or interesting theology, but, but for me, if we're just talking about like the children of Abraham or something like that, that doesn't mean anything. Because around that time in history, my ancestors in Ireland and Scotland were still painting themselves blue and worshiping trees. Like we have no connection there. Until a little bit later in chapter 4, the same chapter, it's really kind of like the next section, Jesus makes this startling, and in fact at the moment very uncomfortable, uh, revelation to the people who are there. That no, 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 this is not about Israel. This is actually about all of humanity. That what God had been doing for Israel, making them his people and making himself their God, well, that, that promise, that power, is now going to be for everybody. And so by Jesus going out into the wilderness after taking on that mantle or that identity of Israel and succeeding where Israel failed, it's not just Israel's failures that go to die now. It's yours too and mine. The wilderness, as it turns out, is the first place where your failure and my failure go to die. Now, imagine this scenario, and hopefully this applies to other people, it definitely applies to me. You're in the grocery store, in line, about to check out. Your mind is sort of wandering. Mine constantly wanders. I have ADD. And you're thinking about stuff or whatever, and suddenly your brain decides to remind you of that moment you said something really weird or dumb. Like the, the flight, like the, uh, the, the person at the gate, you know, you hand your, your ticket to to get on an airplane and she says, have a nice flight. And you go, thanks, you too. It's like, why did I say that? She's not getting on that plane. Like it just kind of reminds you and you, you feel that little shame and, and it just sort of comes out of nowhere. Or you think about that time you danced weird at a wedding and you're, you're a certain everybody remembers that. You just feel that little bit of shame. Hopefully other people have that experience too. I mean, I'm not like hoping you feel shame, but I'm guessing that I'm not alone, is what I'm saying. Now, have you then also had the similar experience where it's the same scenario, but you remember when you devastated somebody? When you just flat out lied when you cheated, when you stole, when you knew you shouldn't have said that, but you did, and it felt good coming out, and then you saw the wreckage that that ensued. That something deep within you starts to feel that brokenness, that regret. Or maybe you're sitting here in the pews, and, and you're living with the consequences of some decisions you made 
And as hard as you try, you know deep down you've got nobody to blame but yourself. Those failures go to die in Jesus, period. And those echoes of shame that you feel maybe wash over you. I don't know about you, but I, I, feel, I tend to feel them in my chest. Like, oh, I can't believe. That shame that you feel is in fact a lie. Because if you have passed through the waters of baptism in Jesus, that failure has long since died. We are told that we are buried with Jesus in our baptism. The things that weigh you down, the things that you deeply regret, the things that you think and sometimes you are convinced actually define you and give you so much shame it's hard to even get up in the morning. Those things are dead. They are a lie because now you are defined by somebody else. Jesus going out into the wilderness wasn't just like a, an exercise in piety. I'm going to fast for 40 days. And then, of course, Luke has to add that tagline. After 40 days, he was hungry. It's like, really, Luke, is that necessary to tell us that? Like, that was not just like a, a, an activity to be really pious or something like that. But, but actually, he is doing something. He is setting up the battle that will happen, at least by that time, in about three years. As he continues to be Israel, as God always intended, as he actually is truly human in the best sense of the word, the one who is human in all we were supposed to be, as he goes to his grave innocently, Our failure, those things that we remember that kill us, the things, the consequences of our actions that tell us that we are worthless, the things that bring us all the shame and guilt and doubt and regret, all of those things no longer define us. Because in Jesus, where God kills, he also makes alive. And so when Jesus walked out of that tomb three days later on that first Easter morning, a new creation started. A new reality began. And, and, and that, that guilt and that shame that tries to kind of like push us down and lie to us is no more because your new identity is actually in the one who conquered death. The resurrected Jesus is now what defines you. Anything else is a lie. The consequences that you live with are a reality, but it is not who you are anymore. The shame that you feel in those random moments of life are no longer who you are because he is risen. Amen.